Hello and welcome to the Irish Times Business and Technology Podcast. I'm Tom Lyons. This week we're looking at the Anglo-Irish Bank trial which has finally ended six years after the events under investigation and after a 48-day trial, 50-odd witnesses, looking at over a million documents, we finally got to the end of it all. And we're joined in studio to discuss this by Uran McCormick, Legal Affairs Correspondent with the Irish Times, Kieran Hancock, Finance Correspondent, and Simon Carswell, Washington Correspondent and author, of course, of Anglo Republic. Ruan, I'll start with you first. Uh, you had the pleasure of sitting through every single day of the trial uh, over 10 weeks. Uh, what was your reaction to the judgment yesterday when it finally came? Um, well, it was quite low-key uh, in the courtroom. There was no triumphalism, there was no cheering, there was very little by way of reaction, and I think that was a result of just the, the long, um, quite exhausting um, experience that everybody had been through over the last 48 days, as you say. Um, that said, what Judge Martin Nolan uh, said in his closing remarks, I think, were very significant. Um, In effect, he said that he wasn't imposing a custodial sentence because of these mitigating factors that couldn't have been taken into account um, by the jury when they were deciding on the guilt or innocence of the three individuals, um, but that he was taking into account in his sentencing. So the role of the financial regulator, who he said, in effect, gave the green light to the transaction by not raising any red flags, any objections, any warnings when Anglo-Irish Bank approached him about it or approached the regulator's office uh, in 2008, but also the legal advice, the fact that Anglo-Irish Bank sought legal advice. And what's important here is not so much what the legal advice consisted of, but what the state of knowledge of Pat Whelan and Willie McAteer was. Uh, and we heard from a number of witnesses that they were um, clearly of the view in, uh, in July, June, July 2008, that uh, positive legal advice had been sought, well, that legal advice had been sought and that positive legal advice uh, had been obtained. So I think Judge Nolan's um, uh, remarks are very significant. I must say as well that they didn't come as a huge surprise because um, the judge had indicated in legal argument in the absence of the jury uh, a number of weeks ago that he would take all of these matters into consideration when he was ruling them out as um, as factors that could be considered by the jury. In effect, he gave a signal to the defence and said, look, I'm not going to put these matters to the jury. I'm going to tell them they can't consider legal advice as a defence. They can't consider the fact that Morgan Stanley, a reputable investment bank, was involved, and they can't take into account this legal advice. But just to let you know that I will be taking this into account in in sentencing. So I don't think it came as a huge surprise that uh, to people in the courtroom, at least, that uh, there was no custodial sentence imposed. And how important do you believe was the, the the performance of the financial regulator? I mean, we saw Patrick Neary in there for two days, Con Horn in there for a number of days. I mean, how important do you think that they were to the overall decision? I mean, their 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 evidence or lack of it, as the case may be. Well, what happened early on in the trial was that there was a very strong sense that the momentum was with the defence, certainly in the in the early weeks. And this is very largely because we spent a lot of time, I think at least a dozen witnesses in the first two weeks, spoke about the re- financial regulator, regulator having in effect approved or green-lighted the transaction um, to legal advice and to the invo- involvement of Morgan Stanley. And what this did was it created a, an atmosphere that was um, that that was good for the defence. These things inevitably made their way into the newspaper headlines the next day. The defence were adept at extracting um, sound bites and lines from the witnesses that ended up in, in the headlines. So this all created an atmosphere that was good for the defence. Um, what happened then was Judge Nolan, after two or three days of legal argument, ruled legal advice out as a defence. And then later on in the trial he said, well, 
this evidence about the financial regulator and uh, Morgan Stanley can't be used. But very early on, the trial was going in a way that wouldn't have been bad for the defence. Um, and, and the role of the financial regulator from day one was very, very significant. And as you can see, it was at the heart, it was the key issue that um, Judge Martin Nolan uh, raised yesterday. He said uh, th- there's no evidence that there was written uh, legal, written approval from the regulator for the transaction, but by not raising the red flags, by not giving warnings, and by the fact that the regulator's office was clearly aware of the general effort to unwind Sean Quinn's CFD positions, that in effect gave Anglo the green light. And he was very much leaning on this line that the defence that Michael O'Higgins for Sean Fitzpatrick in particular had come out with a lot, which was that it it just strikes you as unjust to have one arm of the state telling you uh, to do something uh, and and not objecting to it and, and approving of it, uh, and for the other, another arm of the state then to come along and say, well, we're going to prosecute you for having done what we told you to do previously. And the, the defence there, you, you found them impressive. What about the prosecution, Ruan? I mean, wh- where did you think that they slipped up? I mean, you know, a lot of people going into this trial, they would have expected, look, there's going to be convictions, bankers are going to go to prison, and uh, we had none of that. Well, I suppose they would very much dispute that they slipped up and that they've got two convictions. Um, We shouldn't forget that, that there were two convictions in this case. Um, No custodial sentences, but they're quite serious convictions. I mean, they can't practice as uh, company directors for the next five years. They're disqualified and it'll have a huge impact uh, on their own reputations and and work. Um, There are two things, I think, that, that... the state can be quite pleased with. Um, before the trial, there were two issues that everybody was concerned about. There were two major areas, areas of concern. One was that it would be impossible to have a f- to give these men a fair trial because they were associated with such a toxic um, company, Anglo-Irish Bank. Um, they have been there have been thousands of newspaper articles and um, broadcast media items done about these individuals in the bank over the last number of years. Uh, and how could you give these men a fair jury trial? I think that was wrong. I think the trial has showed that that you can do that. Sean Fitzpatrick, the the uh, figurehead of the bank, has been acquitted. Um, the second big concern was that it would be impossible to uh, uh, it would be impossible to explain something like this, a complex financial transaction. Uh, in a way that was comprehensible to a jury. Uh, and I think that was managed very well. I think the use of technology, um, I think the way that the prosecution managed to um, focus on net issues throughout the trial meant that the jury, even though most of them probably didn't have any special expertise in this area, were able to absorb this information and come to what were, in the end, quite nuanced and sophisticated um, judgments. And Kieran Hancock, you were down in Dame Street in the Central Bank this morning at the launch of of its annual report. Uh, how did the governor of the Central Bank re- react to questioning about this this Anglo Irish uh, bank trial? Well, he described it as a sad and sorry story, um, but he said very much that it was uh, relating to issues um, that related to the past and that the regulator and the functions, um, the workings of the regulator, if you like, um, have been changed, have been transformed. And indeed they have, because before we had the central bank and we had the financial regulator and they were separate, if you like. Um, now they've all been merged back into one Central Bank of Ireland. So that, that function um, sits under one house now again. Um, and he described it as basically a sorry story and said, but he, he did also say that um, he didn't learn anything new from the trial, that none of the information that came out is particularly new and that a lot of it was covered uh, in the various reports that have been done for the government, including one by himself. 
uh, into the uh, financial crash and into the issues uh, surrounding uh, Anglo-Irish Bank and the bank guarantee and um, so forth. We will have a banking inquiry now probably later this year. Brendan Helen has indicated it will probably come later this year. Um, he said that he welcomes the idea of a banking inquiry and that while, again, it might not necessarily tell us anything we don't know or any tell him anything that he doesn't uh, know, it will be uh, very useful in terms of kind of providing some... Um, I don't know, cleansing, if you like, uh, for for people uh, and will help address uh, some of the issues, uh, you know, to put the financial sector back on its feet. And Kieran, you know, like there's been nobody sanctioned and nobody's mm. lost their job in the central bank, despite, you know, this epic financial crash. I mean, do you think when those things haven't happened, that his story that, you know, oh, everything has changed, you know, can really be true? He was asked about that, if anybody in the central bank uh, had been disciplined in relation to this matter. And he gave a very strange answer. He he wouldn't answer the question directly um, and talked about their HR policies and so on and so forth. So he didn't he didn't say somebody had and he didn't say somebody hadn't. So we're left a little in in the dark as to whether anybody has actually been disciplined in relation to this. Um, But you're right. I mean, you know, on the face of it, nobody has. We're not aware of anybody having been disciplined. And of course, um, Pat Neary has uh, retired and um, uh, he got a a fair sum on his uh, retirement as well. Again, the the governor was asked today if he thought it would be right for some form of clawback um, from the former financial regulator in terms of the the severance payment he got and and the pension um, that he's in receipt of. Um, He declined to comment on that matter. But, you know, that might that might bubble up into an issue um, in the coming months and, and perhaps in advance of a banking inquiry. And was there any questions about the former Prudential director, who Con Horn, who featured at the trial? I mean, what's happening to him or where is he now? Yes, I asked uh, for his status. He's on secondment with the European Banking Authority, which is currently overseeing um, pan-European stress tests in advance of a new single uh, supervisor being put in place for Eurozone uh, banks. The governor said that he's due back at the central bank at the end of this year, but he declined to say um, which role he will fill on his return to Dame Street. And would you be relieved, Kieran, that you know he's out there in Europe, keeping an eye on things after having a you know done such a great, uh, an interesting job, shall we say, uh, during his time supervising Anglo and Irish Nationwide and all of the other banks? It's an interesting role for him, for sure, Tom. Um, we're at a we're at a very interesting juncture in terms of supervision of um, financial institutions in Europe. Um, I'm, I'm not quite sure what role he's fulfilling with the European Banking Authority. But it's certainly an interesting role given his past uh, service with the central bank. Yeah, no, I've asked the EBA a couple of times to like, what exactly is he doing over there for his his salary, which is paid for by the Irish central bank, and it's never been quite clear. Uh, he's not mentioned in its annual report, and they've never been able to comment as to say what exactly he's doing. But uh, maybe when he comes back here, on that might be something you'd be able to ask him. Absolutely. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens. He's due back at the end of this year. It'll be interesting to see um, what role, if any role, um, he goes into. Perhaps uh, you know, perhaps he won't come back. I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. And Simon Carswell, if I can bring you in here. Uh, David Drum, uh, he was described in the trial. You know, the trial was described as Hamlet without the prince. He it was repeatedly, it came up, you know, if only we could ask David Drum, we could get his opinion of this. Uh, what do you think that y- yesterday's judgment and the overall uh, Anglo trial means for him? I think that when it comes to um, whether David Drum can be brought to account for what happened um, at Anglo-Irish Bank and in particular in relation to this Maple 10 loans for shares scheme, um, I think the fact that now we have a circuit court judge 
saying that David Drum was the instigator and author of this uh, scheme that was found to be illegal in the case of two of the men on trial. Uh, I think it's really a case of of when rather than if he'll be extradited. Um, As you say, his name was mentioned regularly, almost daily at the trial, and um, news reports were frequently saying, you know, that he wasn't on trial and not before the courts, and I suppose the jury would be perplexed as to why he wasn't there. But um, the fact the facts came out in court and evidence. He devised the scheme. He directed his executives at the bank to execute it, and he managed it. And he worked with the regulator and kept the regulator abreast of of, um, of the of the deal as it was proceeding. Uh, there are a number of difficulties with, um, with with trying to bring him back and trying to extradite him from the U.S. to face charges in Ireland. Uh, one of the legal difficulties is that there is no corresponding offence in the United States of lending to buy shares, lending by a company to buy its shares. Um, for an extradition to be successful, um, the offence must, must exist in both countries uh, before you can extradite an individual. And there's another issue that has arisen legally that it's called the rule of specialty, which exists in the um, extradition arrangements between Ireland and the United States. And that means that you, you, can, uh, you can only extradite an individual on charges and you cannot bring new charges against that individual once they have been uh, brought back. So that could cause some difficulties given that there's various strands to the Anglo-Irish Bank investigation. So that um, the prosecutors in Ireland may be, may be wanting to have all of the charges lined up and ready to go so that they can approach a judge in the U.S. and say, well, we, we're looking to bring back this individual on the following charges and so that there are no new charges uh, that he faces when he comes back. Um, this may be difficulty because uh, be a difficulty because of the different strands to the investigation, but the fact that it's now more than five years old, the investigation, you would have thought at this stage they'd be ready to go on that. And then there's the kind of na- natural justice of, 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 of putting questions to David Drum. The DPP would be keen to put questions to him to seek his defence, to seek his side of the story before an investigation file can be complete. And we know that David Drum hasn't been cooperative on that. Um, he's refused to return to Ireland to face questions from investigators. So that makes it difficult uh, f- uh, for the DPP to close the file, I guess, and say, yes, we can bring charges. I don't think it's an obstacle. Um, somebody can be charged if they're uncooperative, but um, it's certainly a reason for the delay. And then I think the most pressing issue that's the diff- uh, difficulty in trying to bring him back is that David Drum is facing his own trial in the U.S. He's, um, he's uh, going through a bankruptcy trial over five days next month, which will determine whether he can walk away from debts of more than 10 million euro. Um, his former employer, uh, Irish Bank Resolution Corporation, formerly known as Anglo-Irish Bank, are suing him through the U.S. courts. So the Irish authorities may not be terribly keen to approach a federal judge and ask for this man to be extradited when the courts are in the U.S. are processing him through the bankruptcy courts. And Simon, does that bankruptcy trial, I mean, if it's found against him, uh, could that affect his ability to work in America and, continue, and renew his visa over there? It, it will certainly affect his working life. One of the things that the bank can do if they are successful in preventing his discharge from bankruptcy, they can put a lien on his future income, which would mean that he'd have to pay a proportion or all of his income o- uh, over to the bank um, until he's discharged all his debts. He owes uh, the bank about eight and a half million euro. Most of that was drawn down to buy loans in the bank, which are obviously worthless now since the, since the nationalization of the bank. Um, he's also on what's called an E2 visa. It's an investor visa. Um, and he applied for that visa in June 2009 um, and that visa can be renewed it's a maximum of five years but it can be renewed for yearly intervals there are two yearly intervals after that so he can make an application to stay but you would have thought that if this 
man is bankrupt and he cannot walk away from his debts and he's a substantial amount to repay a bank, that it's very difficult to make an application to remain in the U.S. on a visa um, on which he has to make a case that he will be investing money in the U.S. So when he's bankrupt, it's very hard to make that case um, when applying for a new visa. Simon Carswell, you're author of Anglo Republic, a book on Anglo-Irish Bank, which came out several years ago. Was there anything in the, the recent trial which really surprised you? Well, I was surprised that there wasn't a whole lot um, new coming out of the, of the case. Um, we had heard a lot of the details that had been, um, a lot of the evidence that came before the court. We'd seen a lot of the emails that were put before the court, and we certainly knew the positions of many of the parties that were before the courts. I suppose what surprised me most was the testimony of the fin- former financial regulator, Pat Neary. Um, it really kind of confirmed my worst fears of just how out of his depth he was, um, even for a light-touch regulator and how he wasn't just asleep at the wheel, but comatose at the wheel, I'd say. Um, and I think the, one of the defence lawyers put it to him that he practised the art of, not being, of being, not being told difficult things. I think that was a really good way to describe the way Pat Neary operated as financial regulator. Um, it's astonishing that in the two days, or just over two days of testimony, 82 times he said during the course of that testimony, I counted, where he said that he couldn't recall or couldn't remember, or he drew a blank. Um, and I think it's absolutely astonishing um, that Pat Neary operated like that, that he seems not to have wanted to ask difficult questions for fear of getting uh, the answer and then becoming more deeply involved. And I think that what was at stake here when you consider uh, it was enormous, it was almost a one-third stake in Ireland's third largest bank, the stability of the financial system in the country was at stake. Um, And this was a crisis that was elevated to what was the equivalent of the government's financial war cabinet. And this was the financial regulator not even taking notes. I just thought it was absolutely extraordinary and terrifying to hear that from the man himself. And, and Kieran, you know, none of this happened in a vacuum. I mean, we heard many times during the trial, oh, the, the the entire banking system was at risk. The economy might have stopped. I mean, were you surprised at how little the Department of Finance featured? I mean, we'd one civil servant in there for 22 minutes and there, was, there wasn't a mention of Brian Cowan or Brian Lenehan all the way through the trial. Yeah, that's right. They seemed to uh, breeze through a lot of the witnesses. I think even the Sean, uh, Sean Quinn evidence uh, came and went quite quickly when perhaps a lot of people might have expected it to go on for some time. Um, I suppose these are issues that may well come out in the banking inquiry. Certainly the roles uh, played by the likes of uh, Brian Cowan and other politicians, Brian Lenehan and so forth, and, and the civil servants. That will probably be explored um, in in great depth uh, when the banking inquiry, whenever it um, begins its hearings. And Ruan, I mean, you're sitting through the trial and we're, we're now facing into several more Anglo trials. Uh, can you just take us through briefly just what those future trials are going to be about? And what what do you think is, you know, you know are, like what's going to happen next? Or, and how could do you have any sense of the time frame of these trials? Well, there's a, another trial which is still scheduled to begin in October. I wouldn't be surprised to see um, parties attempt to push that back into next year. Um, there has been so much publicity about this trial. It's received more attention than any other criminal trial in several years. So I wouldn't be surprised if there's an attempt to push that into next year just to allow for some, allow for some sort of a, a fade factor. Um, I don't think any uh, any defendant who was involved in this trial, um, Sean Fitzpatrick, is up on trial in this uh, in this second uh, um, set of proceedings in, in in October. I don't think he'll be keen to have that begin in October, and I'm sure that there will be some attempt to push it into next year, just to allow for this to fade for it to you know for for Sean Fitzpatrick not to have been all over the newspapers for an, for at least a year before that trial begins. But I think that one of the major lessons of this trial is that it is possible to put somebody on trial and to try them fairly. Um, notwithstanding the fact that 
um, <clears throat> this individual or any individual may have received a lot of adverse um, media criticism and attention over a long period of time. Well, that is, I mean, that is definitely something which you have to take on board that we did see that the, the jury system works. I mean, what do you think, Kieran, of the reaction on social media and even by some politicians who've been saying, you know, this is this is disgusting or this is unfair or this is this is wrong? Um, post the judgment. Post the judgment. Post the actual judgment. Yeah, well, look, I mean, that's normal human reaction, um, I guess. And we've never seen... Um, We've never had social media play a role like this in, in, a, in a case like this. I mean, let's face it, this is the biggest white-collar crime <coughs> case we've ever had in this country, so it's kind of new territory um, to a large degree. And we've never had social media then play um, the kind of role it's played um, since then. I mean, there's a lot of anger out there towards uh, what's happened, so it's, it's, it's perfectly natural that people um, would be disgusted at the outcomes. And if you sit in Tanny Taxi in Dublin and ask the taxi driver what he thinks of uh, the outcome, they'll, they'll give you a fairly sharp uh, uh, viewpoint. But, you know, it is what it is. Um, and as Ruan said earlier, um, they did manage to get two convictions. Um, we'll wait and see if the um, individuals serve any community service and um, we'll wait and see what, uh, what else materialises in other um, cases down the road. And just finally, over to you, Simon. I mean, myself, Ruan, and Kieran. I mean, we're we're seeing it. There's wall to wall coverage, you know, this week of of the judgment. I mean, how is this story seen in America? I mean, is it getting any sort of ripples over there? Um, there was some reporting uh, in the national newspapers here about the verdict, um, about Sean Fitzpatrick being acquitted and, and the two bankers, two other bankers, former bankers, being um, being convicted. But other than that, no, it's largely been overlooked. Um, I think that um, it's, it's raised questions here, and certainly it's 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 constantly in the in the public debate over here as to why no American bankers have been prosecuted or jailed for the role or in the financial crisis over here or in some of the excesses that the banks took on, particularly in the subprime lending market. So um, again, you know, you have the likes of Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren. Her popularity has soared on the basis that she has come out very prominently to attack. Wall Street to attack bankers and to attack the excesses of corporate America. And I mean, that's probably the best expression of the public anger that's out there, is that someone uh, like her is, is really uh, generating such, um, such a reaction. Ruan McCormick, Legal Affairs Correspondent with the Irish Times, Kieran Hancock, Finance Correspondent, and Simon Carswell, Washington Correspondent. Uh, thanks for coming on this week's Irish Times Business and Technology Podcast. And that's it. I'm Tom Lyons. My producer was Sinead O'Shea and sound engineer was James Davis. 